Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. It is Monday, October 11th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glynn. We just had really an incredible week six of college football. Close games, upsets, big moments in the final seconds. Honestly, couldn't have asked for anything more regardless of who your favorite school is. So before we start, a little AP poll update for you as it was obviously released on Sunday. Georgia is now number one, Iowa number two. Cincinnati is number three, Oklahoma four. Alabama with their loss to Texas A&M falls to five. Ohio State moves up to six. Penn State losing to Iowa falls to seven. Michigan's at eight. Oregon's at nine. And Michigan State is at 10. So with it being Monday, as we have done all season long, we will be running through the winners and losers of the past weekend. We have three winners and three losers on the docket to talk about. And joining me on the line now to break them all down is 24-7 sports college football writer, Brad Crawford. Brad, how are we doing? Thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Doing pretty well, man. We are coming off one of the more exciting weekends I can remember in college football. Exactly. I'm in complete agreement with you there. It was just every single game, I feel like, especially the more nationally televised games. I mean, you talk about Michigan, Nebraska came down to the wire, came down to a late Adrian Martinez turnover. Obviously, Alabama, Texas A&M, everyone watched. Iowa, Penn State, Iowa came back with a a furious comeback in the second half after Penn State dealt with injuries. It was just a... uh, a great weekend, I should say, excuse me, through and through, regardless of who your team was. If you're just a college football fan, you enjoyed watching this past weekend. So I want to start as we look at our winners and losers with the positives. I think the biggest winner of the day, and that's Texas A&M. You know, it's funny. We went into this season thinking Saturday's game in College Station, that it could be one of the games of the year. But then obviously the Aggies lost Haynes King. Zach Calzada was playing for the most part like a backup quarterback. And for those reasons, I think Alabama went in as an 18, maybe 19 point favorite. But for at least one game, Texas A&M played like the SEC contender they were to start the season, right? Calzada had the game of his life. Jimbo became the first former assistant to beat Saban. And A&M had perhaps, at least up until now, maybe the most impactful upset of the season. I was going to say, man, Zach Calzada, Saturday night in College Station. I mean, what what I found most impressive about his performance was just his ability to stay under pressure, stay calm. You know, Alabama tried to send him mixed coverages that they, they tried to send guys on, on his left and right side, but he, but he stayed calm under pressure. And I mean, to be honest, he looked like a different quarterback than what we've seen the previous two games, you know, since that injury to Haynes King. Zach dropped several throws just over top of the Alabama defenders and, and played extremely well in crunch time when the Aggies needed him most. Fourth quarter, I mean, he was just a very, very accurate quarterback. And 
you know, he was dicing up some some all American candidates in that Alabama secondary. So I was I was very pleased with Zach Calzada's performance. And, you know, he's a guy that that on paper, at least going into Saturday, you know, he wasn't one of the X factors where you thought, man, maybe maybe Zach Calzada is a guy who can really uh, beat Bama this evening. Calzada, you were probably just looking at as a guy that you just didn't want him to lose the game for Texas A&M. And you give A&M credit. Look, they were up for most of the game. Then Alabama late goes up 38-31. All the momentum seems to be with the Crimson Tide. Yet Calzada ends up leaving, leading A&M on the scoring drive. Obviously gets the ball back, ends up putting them in field goal range too. So you got to give credit to the quarterback who started the season, as I mentioned, as the backup behind Haynes King and who hasn't really played great this season. He... I mentioned before, had the game of his life in what couldn't have been a better game to have it in. And AM, you know, it, it, you look back on their season for the Aggies, and I'm sure they're kicking themselves if a couple plays had gone differently here or there. You know, maybe they're five and one, maybe they're still six and oh after they just beat Alabama and kind of control their own destiny. But the fact is, this was looked at as a game of the year candidate early in the season. And frankly, even with all the adversity that Texas AM has faced this season, it ended up turning out to be one of those games of the year. Yeah, I mean, we we saw the best at what Texas A&M has to offer, strong defensive line play, aggressive and attacking linebackers, and really a bunch of speed on offense that, when given space, can can really hurt you. You know, that, that victory, in my opinion, paves the way toward what could be a special ending for this season for the Aggies the rest of the way. You know, just, just kind of like a, a momentum booster needed after those back-to-back losses entering that game against Bama. You know, like, like you mentioned, Lance, we – we talked about this game coming in about being one of the more important matchups in the SEC West this season back in July. And while it didn't have that billing last week leading up to it pregame, you know, it, it certainly lived up to it with, with that 41-38 final. I mean, when, when Alabama erased a two-touchdown deficit, came back to take a 38-31 lead on, you know, Jamison Williams' seven-yard touchdown catch from Bryce Young, I really thought, man, A&M's going to play a, a darn good game tonight and, and still get beat. That's how good Nick Saban is. But Zach Calzada, I mean, leads him right down the field, has that touchdown pass to Anaya Smith, and it's 38 all, and then Bama gets, gets a three and out. So very strong performance from Texas A&M, really on both sides of the ball late in that game. And, you know, for a team that had just fallen out of the top 25 to, to get back in it this week after beating Alabama and you know, snapping the Crimson Tide's 100-game winning streak against a unranked opponent. It was really impressive. So let's go to our first loser now. In your neck of the woods, Brad, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Another loss in what has been an underachieving season in Chapel Hill for Mac Brown's program. Look, Sam Howell was able to use his legs, I think over 100 yards on the ground, but he barely eclipsed the 50% mark in completion percentage. The route scored, I think, 35-7 to in the second and third quarters. Look, it was just a bad, bad loss for the Heels, who now move to 3-3 three and three on the season. Yeah, you know, this, this game kind of told me just as much about Florida State as it did North Carolina. It's, it's obvious the Tar Heels were an inflated team coming into the season. You know, they, they've had defensive issues that have sort of played this program during Max Brown's tenure, you know, last couple of years and Sam Howell let's face it he's still wildly inconsistent you know he's been that way all this fall you know much of that due to UNC you know just sort of being a one-dimensional team at times um, having to throw a bunch of passes in, in in several of these games several of these losses specifically you know when when defenses know you're going to throw it adds a lot of pressure on you as a quarterback and then I just think on the other sideline man you've got a Seminoles team that has really answered the call over these last few weeks and is starting to turn things around. You know, I I wrote last week that Mike Norvell 
you know, sort of found something within his team at halftime of that Louisville loss last month. You know, Florida State was, I think, down 20 points, 17 points at the break and had a chance to win it late against Louisville, but but came up short. So then what happens, you know, the Knowles respond with the win over Syracuse. Now they've beaten North Carolina. So, you know, hats off to Mike Norvell for keeping this team's mental mindset in the game. Yeah, definitely a, a much different season over the last two weeks for Florida State than it was in the first four weeks of the season. Moving on to winner number two, Oklahoma and specifically Caleb Williams. You know, I don't know if you agree with me. I think you might, but I believe the Spencer Rattler era is now over in Norman. I don't see how he plays again, you know, barring injury or garbage time. Williams looked electric. He was using his arms and his legs, and he really rejuvenated an Oklahoma team that just didn't look good for much of this season. I know they were undefeated, but I saw OU as a team that wasn't a legit title contender, even with their wins. But my question to you is, is with Williams' play on Saturday and his potential overall, do you think Oklahoma is kind of back as a title contender this season? Do you think, I guess, Williams kind of resurrected the Sooners' title chances and and maybe put them back in the same conversation as Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Iowa, and and a couple others? Yeah, you know, I don't don't think Oklahoma has ever really left the national championship picture, you know, but, but the Sooners do look like a team that you know, is is still bound to lose a game somewhere this fall. You know, they still have to play several Big 12 opponents who are going to test them on both sides of the ball. You know, I'm, I'm sort of reluctant to pick Oklahoma right now in the Final Four. My, my latest bowl projections this week, I've got Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati, and Bama after week six with OU on the outside looking in. But, man, it's, it's pretty obvious that, that Caleb Williams gives the Sooners a different dynamic offensively. He brings a skill set that opens the playbook up a bit for Lincoln Riley. You know, I would I would say the ship has probably sailed on on Spencer Rattler. That, that's that's a fair assessment. But you know, Riley sort of refused to allude to that in his post game. So no disrespect to Spencer Rattler, but Williams has certainly earned a closer look from OU staff, and I think he's going to get more reps in practice and obviously more series in games moving forward. I tweeted yesterday, right after the Texas-Oklahoma game, while it was a great, obviously, weekend for college football fans and, and for a lot of programs, college football could definitely be a cruel game. I mean, Spencer Rattler went into the season as probably the odds-on favorite to be the first pick overall. Now, depending on what Lincoln Riley decides to do moving forward, it's possible that Spencer Rattler doesn't see the field the rest of the season. It's possible that, you know, he might decide to stay another year, probably not at Oklahoma, maybe somewhere else. So while college football can be great for some, it can be very cruel for others. And, and the way it's turned out this season for Spencer Rattler, he's definitely more on the cruel side than on the favorable side. But I want to stay with the Red River showdown for my second loser and, and just what a letdown by Texas. You know, I was getting so ready for all the Texas is back Sam Ellinger videos, and then they just collapsed 28 to 7 lead, 35 17 lead. Both were blown. They wasted great performances by Casey Thompson, Bijan Robinson, and Xavier Worthy. And they, they just really frankly, Brad, blew a big opportunity for what would have been a signature win in year one of the Steve Sarkeesian era. Yeah, you know, some of it was execution failures. You know, some of it was Oklahoma playing much more inspired football defensively, I think, in the second half of that game. You know, but there there was a three and out for the Longhorns early in the fourth quarter that sort of stuck out to me where B. John Robinson didn't even touch the football. And I I was just dumbfounded that that could happen. You know, you have the best running back in college football. You have a lead, but you don't feed them. So that was was really odd to me. Uh, Give OU credit, though, for for not not giving up. I mean, I I thought the game was over in the third quarter. Really, I I thought the game was over several times. Texas was 
was that good early in that game. But as you mentioned, man, this, this loss is really going to haunt Texas because I think it's a team that, you know, is going to be in a situation a few weeks from now where maybe the Longhorns are, could have been in the Big 12 driver's seat had they won that game. You mentioned some of the performances that were wasted on offense. You know, how about Texas linebacker Demarion Overshone? I mean, dude has the best first quarter of any linebacker in college football this season. And then the wheels come off. So, I mean, if if I'm a Texas fan, at least I can watch that game and and know that, you know, my team is not going to be out scheme necessarily this season under Sarkeesian. I thought Longhorns had a great game plan. But again, I mean, B. John Robinson has to touch the ball in critical situations, whether that's the handoff, a toss, a screen, a wheel route. They've got to be deliberate in putting the ball in his hands. As we talked about with these performances, you mentioned the Marvion Overshone, Casey Thompson. I said Bijan Robinson, Xavier Worthy. It always stinks when you're a fan of a program when you have great performances like that, uh, and and they don't result in wins, especially in rivalry games. You know when you hate the other team and the other team hates you, and you're right there. You have all these great performances. Your team plays well, and you still can't pull out a victory. That's always always a backbreaker moving forward. So I want to go on to our last winner, the Iowa Hawkeyes. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Brad. Looking at the schedule, Iowa seems set to at least get to the Big Ten title game undefeated. Look, remaining, they have Purdue at home, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, then at Nebraska with a bye sprinkled in as well. I don't remember exactly where, but look, they obviously have to go out and win these games. You know, they're not just going to be handed to them, but they'll be favored in all six. The defense, they continue to take the ball away from both Sean Clifford and then after he was injured, Taquan Roberson. I was really set up now with their remaining schedule to have one of those special season seasons. And you mentioned it in your playoff projections right now. They're in your playoff projections. They could possibly, if everything goes right and they're undefeated going into the Big Ten title game, that could be for a spot for them to get into the playoff. And, and if they do... Man, what a season it would be for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, I mean, Iowa was one of my dark horse playoff team before this season, largely due to what I deemed was a you know favorable schedule in the Big Ten. I don't think anybody thought the Big Ten would be as good as it is right now with you know five teams in the top nine of the AP poll. But I sort of just thought if the Hawkeyes could get through the first half of that slate, you know, unscathed, then maybe Iowa would have a shot. And here we are. You know, Wisconsin stinks. They're they're on the map here in a couple of weeks, and um, Iowa's going to be favorite every other game but the the one matchup man that I, I think could get tricky is against Nebraska on Black Friday Scott Frost is due that could be a game that possibly determines bowl eligibility for the Huskers but you know getting back to how well this defense is playing right now I mean do you remember when the Bucks won a Super Bowl under under John Gruden and just scored you know what seemed like a dozen defensive touchdowns that season they just found ways to get their hands on the football and that's that's what these Iowa corners and safeties do man each and every week they they track the football like like wide receivers. It's it's a lot of fun to watch, and and, and even in base coverages, these Hawkeyes are making plays. That that black and blue mentality defensively that is winning game for them in the Big Ten. You know, at some point though, Iowa's going to have to find some explosive plays offensively because when you get to play Georgia and those kind of teams in the playoff, you know, defense isn't going to win championships. And you know, we also discussed this. Uh, as well, you kind of feel for Penn State, right? Because before these injuries, most notably Sean Clifford, yep. Penn State was looking like they could run away with this game. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. 
Iowa's offense, Spencer Petras had had nothing going for them. Penn State, I think, was up 14 to 3, maybe 17 to 3 at one point. I don't remember the exact score. But before that injury, Penn State was rolling and it looked like they could win by at least two touchdowns. You got to give credit to Iowa. Obviously, injuries are part of the game. They took advantage of obviously a, a, an unexperienced uh, Taquan Roberson, an offense after he came in that just looked incompetent, but you really got a feel for Penn state because it was set up perfectly for them to go on the road, get a top five win against Iowa. But as I said, injuries are part of the game. They happen. And unfortunately, you know, Penn state was plagued by them in this game. And, and again, Iowa took advantage of the opportunity they had and ended up coming away with a victory. Yeah. I mean, Penn state was number three in my power rankings behind Georgia one, Alabama two coming into week six. And, I had I had taken the Lions to to win that game at Kinnick Stadium straight up. So, you know, seeing Sean Clifford go out there, I thought Penn State could maybe still get it done, you know, still up two touchdowns when, when he went out. But, man, Penn State's offense just looked hopeless in the second half with that backup quarterback in there. And he largely looked unprepared for the, for the game plan in case his number had to be called. So injuries or not, though, you know, the Nittany Lions are better than what they showed, in my opinion. And I think I was pretty happy to get out of that home game with the win and, and move on and stay unbeaten. So moving on to our final loser of the week, and I feel like, and frankly, I know that I've talked about them as losers before, and that is LSU. Look, it's turning into a disaster now in Baton Rouge. I'm sure the staff knows that the likelihood of them returning next season is slim to none at this point. So here are my questions for you, Brad. I have two for you. One, do you think we will see an in-season firing of Ed Orgeron? And two, how likely is four and eight in your mind? Because for me, I have serious doubts that they beat anyone besides ULM the rest of the way. So to answer your first question, is there a possibility of a in-season firing of Coach O? I think it's certainly possible that the LSU makes a move, you know, once these power brokers in Baton Rouge figure out how to manage this buyout situation and sort of where they're going from here, you know, what are the next steps? Uh, the Tigers play Florida next weekend, a game that will likely be another lopsided double-digit loss. And, you know, the, the big thing for me watching LSU play this season is just how bad this team looks at the line of scrimmage. Just zero push up front. I don't ever like to question players' effort level, but, you know, you would think that Ogeron could get this team more motivated to play. It just doesn't look like these guys are sort of taking the field with much attitude or aggression right now. And, and then second, you know, what's the chances that LSU loses eight games this season? You know, part of me still thinks this team can get to a bowl game, but I'm, I'm no longer projecting that the Tigers, you know, make the postseason this fall. I, I had them out of my bowl projections on, on Sunday for the first time this season at, at three and three with five games left, excuse me, six games left, five against ranked teams. I think you could see LSU finish maybe at best five and seven and, you know, potentially be playing out the end of November stretch under an interim coach. When, when, when coaches get let go, it's all about trajectory, and it's obvious Coach O's time is wearing thin at that program. You know, this was supposed to be a title-contending season for him with a slew of returning starters, and instead the Tigers have been anything but. What a fall from grace it has been for the LSU Tigers yep. since their magical 2019 seasons in which they had one of the best really college football teams ever. But nevertheless, it was a positive week six for some programs, a negative, obviously, for others. But for us fans, it was as great a week six as we could have asked for. Brad, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the time. And uh, and again, thanks again for coming on. Thanks a bunch, man. Follow Brad on Twitter at bcrawford247. Remember to give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. My name is Lance Glenn. Trey will be back with you tomorrow for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.